Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. All right, this week we're going to start off by discussing a little bit about what we finished last week's lesson on. We were in Hebrews chapter 12 talking about how the Father loves us and how he has received us. And because of that, he disciplines or trains the ones that he loves and he corrects the ones that he has received. And that we're going to talk a little bit more about the flesh we talked about last week and how his uh, overall purpose is to help us express the nature we were created to express, which is his nature. Well, if you remember, I was talking about over the last two or three weeks how our behaviors come from choices and emotions and thoughts and beliefs and so forth. Well, I'm going to show you a slide right now that, that will help um, maybe visualize that. All right, so in this slide, you'll see that down at the bottom, there's God, and he has created Adam and Eve, and they are his children. In the very last verse of Luke chapter 3, in the genealogy of Christ, uh, where it traces it all the way back to God, uh, through the human realm uh, and his human uh, existence, you'll see that Adam is referred to as the son of God. So he was a child of God. And in that relationship with God, he would have developed beliefs and thoughts and emotions would have come out of that. And he would have made choices to live. You know, God gave him various things to do, like tending the garden, naming the animals. And I'm sure there would have been a lot more than that as time went on. But there was a problem. We talked about how sin came along. And you'll see in this next slide that as a result of sin, Adam and Eve's relationship with God was blocked. They were separated from God. Uh, they were no longer children of God. They became children of wrath, the Bible says. And as a result, their, thought, their beliefs and thoughts and emotions and choices to live in order to obey God became an impossible leap, you'll see in this particular slide. Now, why was that impossible? Well, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what is faith? It's trusting God. So the very root of obedience is faith in God, trusting him. Well, they had chosen not to trust God. So the actions they carried on after that is not what determines our obedience. What determines our obedience is our faith. You know, those two ideas are connected often in Scripture. You know, it says that the Hebrew children, the, the Israelite nation, was unable to enter the promised land, it says, because they disobeyed. Okay, they disobeyed him. So then it goes on and says, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So disobedience and unbelief are always connected. And therefore, obedience is always the result of faith. It's not just the outward actions that we do. You know, the Bible even records that at the judgment, some are gonna say, but Lord, we healed the sick, we cast out demons, did many uh, miracles in your name. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. 
I never knew you. So this relationship, this connection with God is the ultimate resource we have and need in order to know God, to trust him. So the way we live our life is based on faith. And then the life we live is a life of obedience to our Father based on a loving, trusting relationship that we have with him. All right, so in this next slide, I'm going to fill it out a little bit, this fallen condition. You'll see down there at the bottom, there's God. And because of sin, Adam and Eve were separated from him. And they became part of the kingdom of darkness. You see right down there at the bottom. And the kingdom of darkness has a threefold enemy that's against us. That's Satan, the world system, and this principle of sin that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. And so that's the world that Adam and Eve began to live in, connected to. Uh, he told the Pharisees that you're of your father, the devil. And you see that little block down there at the bottom also. The Bible also calls uh, those who are apart from God children of wrath. But they have a dead spirit. Now, what is dead? Well, it doesn't mean they didn't have a spirit, but their spirit was disconnected from God. And God is life. Okay, so a spirit disconnected from God is a dead spirit. Not a non-existent spirit. It's just no longer connected to life. You know, if I separated my body from oxygen, uh, it would die. It wouldn't cease to exist. It would just be no longer connected to something it needs to live. Well, God is life, and our spirit, apart from God, is dead. All right, so what happens to a dead person walking? Uh, well, they still think and feel and choose to act, but they have a darkened soul. And what is in the soul? Well, the soul is what houses our mind, will, and emotions, that part of our being that's human, non-physical, but not spiritual. Okay, so we think, we feel, we, we make choices. We're, we're working with uh, ideas around us, uh, beliefs and thoughts, things that have been communicated to us, trying to figure out how do we live? And we're still in this body, but it's decaying, it's gonna die, it's no longer gonna live forever as God intended it. So you see that next column over to the right there, um, the beliefs, thoughts, emotions, choices, and behavior. That's the same thing I've been illustrating the last couple of weeks. All right, so you see the, uh, the patterns that we learn to live by uh, in our beliefs, thoughts, and so on develop this thing the Bible calls the flesh. And it's just an old way of living. One guy, uh, Dr. Bill Gillum, uh, has defined it as the unique way each of us has developed to get our needs met on planet Earth. It's just, how do I survive living here? And we picked some of it up as a little child, some of it up in junior high. We pick it up all along the way, and we begin to develop um, a resource library of our own on how do you survive planet Earth? How do you get your needs met? How do you uh, get people to like you? How do you minimize pain and maximize pleasure? That really goes back to the temptation to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where... A good means those things that are pleasant, and evil means those things that are unpleasant, if you look it up in the old languages. All right, so Adam and Eve entered a system of trying to figure out, how do I live life 
by maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. And that's how each of us develops our flesh. Now, what works for me may not work for you in this world. And so everybody's pattern of the flesh is very unique to them and their circumstances, what they have accepted to be true. But it says that those who are separated from God are darkened in their understanding. You read about that in Romans chapter 1. Well, you can see because of that, it is truly an impossible leap to obey God, not just because our actions don't always look godly, which most of the time they don't, or many times they don't, but even if they look very godly, like the people at the judgment when he said, depart from me, I never knew you, they were doing outwardly good-looking things, religious-looking uh, things. So what was the problem? Well, if you're separated from God, if God doesn't know you, Remember, we looked at a verse, I think, a week or two ago about this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Um, that's John 17, 3. Uh, in Galatians 4, 9, it says, Now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, why do you turn back to weak, worthless things that will just enslave you again? Okay, this knowing and being known relationship is the root and foundation of living life in a way that helps us please God. And how do you please God? Well, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So knowing him and trusting him and walking by faith results in a life that's pleasing to God, not just because the outward activities look a certain way, but because they're rooted in a relationship of trust with our Heavenly Father. I'm going to go back to John 17 again. Let's look at a passage. In John 17, 21 through 23, it says, That they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. This bringing together, this union, this joining of ourselves to God and God to us provided and accomplished some profound results. Jesus said, the glory, Father, that you've given me, I've given to them. Why did that have to happen? It had to happen because the glorious one would not join himself to an unglorious one. And so he made his bride ready, and we are the bride of Christ, and so the two have become one. So in keeping with that, let's look at another passage. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says, in referring to a husband and wife, it says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. In verse 32, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Everything in God's creation testifies to the nature and the character of God and his plan for man. His plan was always that we would be united with him as one for all eternity. You know, the husband and wife relationship it has taken a lot of beating over the years and centuries and millenniums. And people rebel against what they think 
certain passages mean and you can't tell me I got to do this or that or the other. But if you think about what God really intended, he never intended even our relationship with him that we be dominated by strength and power and basically erased as an entity. He always intended us to be in relationship with him that through our uniqueness, he would express his character. Well, the same thing is true for a husband and wife. But it says the husband is to give himself up for the wife, just like Christ gave himself up for the church. This is not an overlordship where he dominates, but it's one who comes under and serves out of love. This is the wife. I've had many people, especially the ladies, tell me over the years, well, I got the raw deal. You know, he gets to be the boss, and I have to submit to everything. Well, again, we looked at the passage a few weeks ago about Jesus saying, not my will, but your will be done. And so the husband lays down his life for the wife, and the life, wife lays down her life for her husband. It's a mutual giving of oneself to each other. It's not a relationship where one gets to dominate and one gets to grovel in the dirt. Um, husbands, you're to serve, and the servant comes under to lift up. Well, he uses that to try to help us understand the relationship he wants with us. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And he loves his church by serving and giving his life up for her, his bride. Okay, so that's what he wants us to understand, that this relationship of oneness being brought together is one where the husband, God, loves his bride, us, by serving us. And out of that loving relationship, we obey him by faith. That's why it says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but the life I live. I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it's all rooted in that sacrificial love that Christ gave to us the ones he chooses to be his bride. So I call that one together. Okay, we're one, but we're together. It's, it's not only one. We don't disappear when God joins himself to us and we just become part of a, of a non-existent, non-named, non-recognizable entity. But we're just like a husband and wife. You know, there's the husband, there's the wife. They're one, but they're unique. They're different. They both have unique qualities. And he chooses to join himself to us in that way. Again, how do you get there? Well, I just quoted it in uh, Galatians. But the first part of that verse, 2.20, says, I am crucified with Christ. We get there by being joined to him through his death, burial, and resurrection, which we've talked about quite a bit over the last few weeks. One way this has been described, how do, we, how do we live in a relationship like that? Well, one way it's described is like a ballroom dance. You've got the man and the woman, they're out there dancing. One is leading and one is following, but they're both participating. And the one who is leading needs to know where he's going, and the one who's following needs to trust that he's not going to slam dunk her into the floor or something like that when he does one of those little swooping moves or whatever. It's a, it's, a, it's a relationship of faith and trust. 
that in the end is beautiful. Have you ever watched any of that, uh, those dancers? It's just a beautiful thing to watch. Well, he desires that our relationship with him be a thing of beauty that's actually an expression of who God is through our lives that's a result of our trust in him so that in the moment when he's doing something, we're right there going right along with him. We're doing what he's doing. You know, what is God doing? What does he want me to do? Those are two good questions to ask in any situation. Well, what he wants me to do is going to require faith. And what is faith? Well, it's trust in the one who's asking me to do it. And that's what he's building in our relationship with him. He's building into us greater levels of trust on a daily basis by inviting us to learn from him through reading his word, through meditation and prayer, through fellowshipping with other believers. As we get to know him better, we trust him more. The more we trust him, then the more in the moment we live our lives in a way that shows the world who God is because God is in us living his life. So let's look at one more slide to finish this up. You can see it's a lot, I've added a lot of pieces. It's really the same thing, but one side is rooted in Satan and the world's system and sin and the fallen nature and separation from God. The other side is very different. You know, if I try to obey God from the dark side of this illustration, it's an impossible leap. But down here at the bottom, you'll see there's a leap of faith. And what is that leap of faith? That's the moment we leap, if you will, into Christ. We trust him. And what happens then? Well, we become the children of God rather than children of wrath. And we now have a threefold ally instead of a threefold enemy. And who, is, who, are, who are those three allies? Well, it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are now our family. They're our resource. They're our comforter, our guide, our protector, our providers. And we looked at a few weeks ago, and we'll talk about it some more in the next lesson next week, uh, how when the Holy Spirit moves in, he permanently bonds himself to our new regenerated spirit. You know, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. So the Holy Spirit is permanently bonded to our spirit. And out of that relationship, we begin to have a renewed mind. You know, Romans 12, 2 says we're transformed by the renewing of the mind. So he begins to give us a different point of view about everything. And it'll always lead to truth. And what does truth do? Well, we use those things to think about our life and the situations we face which will produce emotions and choices, which according to this new system, we obey God. You know, in Romans, it talks about he'll give life to our mortal bodies. Okay, so the life we now live is one of faith in God, which leads to living a life that testifies of who he is. This is the spirit man, it's the new way of living. Now, you and I still have the old body and the old brain, and those, the Bible says, the flesh sets itself against the spirit, and the spirit sets itself against the flesh. We'll talk about that a lot more in the future. But this is the struggle you and I find yourself, ourselves in. I'm a new child of God, but I still have access to the old way of living, the, that old way of getting my needs met. 
And you and I are tempted every, way, every day to use that old way to make life work for ourselves. But we have a choice. Now we can choose to follow the Holy Spirit within us and choose to think and feel and choose to act in a way that honors God. And so instead of making this leap over the Grand Canyon at the top, we just work our way back up from the bottom based on an internal relationship where we have been bonded to Him and He is bonded to us. And what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? He's the Spirit of truth who is here to guide us into all truth. His job, His, his uh, uh, what's the right word for this? His job description you know, from the Father is, guide my children into such a relationship with me that they trust me and live life based in that trusting relationship so that we can show the world what I had intended for them when I said, let us make man their image and according to our likeness. We're gonna pick up again on some of these thoughts next week. Love you and appreciate you, let's pray. Father, I do ask that you will give us insight and understanding into this internal relationship we have with you that's unbreakable and how we can learn to listen to you and know you and trust you in such a way that we no longer walk in the old ways after the flesh, but in the new way by the Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.